Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Andrea Brooks, and she is founder and CEO of Sava. We're going to talk a little bit about her role as entrepreneur, the work that she's doing in the cannabis space, her business, uh, what's going on in the industry with that. Andrea, welcome to the program. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So why don't we start a little bit with background? I guess professionally, what what is your history? How did you get into cannabis? Tell us a little <laughs> bit of that story. Yeah. Well, you know, what I did before Sava was completely different than what I'm currently doing. Okay. I used to work in the NGO and nonprofit sector as a consultant, but I had a major injury in 2010 and had to stop working, yeah. um, which was, you know... I thought I would just be recovering maybe in a few weeks or a few months. And what happened is the injury that I had left me, you know, pretty disabled with my doctors telling me that they didn't think I was going to be returning to work again full time, maybe ever, and then definitely not at a desk type of job. So this major thing happened. It resulted in me being bedbound for about a year and a half, just not really able to function, taking pain medications 
And, you know, after a, you know, long period of darkness and bleakness, I decided to try cannabis. And trying cannabis was this, I wish I came to it sooner, which is why I started Sava. Did you have any experience with cannabis before that? Or this was your first real introduction? I had some experience, but really light, you know, smoked a couple, you know, tried it in high Mm -hmm. school, tried it in my 20s. It didn't, you know, I was like, eh, this is okay. But it didn't, you know, do anything transformative or magical for me, for sure, at that time. Mm -hmm. And but this, you know, entry point was completely different. One, I had someone, you know, who's a very knowledgeable grower explaining everything to me. So that, you know, that was getting that education and understanding how the plant was grown and what it is. And then learning about different tinctures and understand, you know, starting to dive into that. That was really what opened the door for me. (laughs) And. Obviously, there are many people that have realized the amazing medicinal properties way before me, generations, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> but for me, it felt, you know, it was a light bulb moment. Like I just never thought, it never occurred to me. And then I think of how many people are there out there like me that would yeah. have never occurred to this to use this for their life, whether, you know, day to day wellness or more serious or even more pleasure. Yeah. So you had this experience in terms of how cannabis impacted um, your recovery and inspired by the, you know, by the product or by, um, you know, by the, by the plant. How did you come up with Sava? I mean, how did you go from, hey, I want to do something in the space to here's the idea that I want to build a business around? <laughs> yeah, well, it was, you know, it was going back to my experience and wish, you know, wishing there had been a way for me to have my transformative experience earlier. So I was, you know, in creating Sava, it was building something that I didn't see at the time, which was, you know, a different type of purchasing experience that showcased the type of products that I was interested in that really broke down the education um, around them or the information or how this product was grown. Like, what is the full life of this product? You know, and even if this product is on other people's shelves as well, like, I want to know all the details, you know, I want to know everything about it before I put it in my body. And, I didn't find that that was out there for me other than, you know, my direct connections to friends. So creating Sava is something I wish I had had for myself where I could Mm -hmm. be exploring something with the products that spoke to me as a woman in her mid thirties at the time dealing with chronic pain. I didn't really feel, you know, when I was going into some shops, I I was having a hard time finding people that could speak to me and, you know, what I was going through. So this, you know, it was really just creating, I'm like, maybe there's, you know, there's something missing in the space at that time and still to date. And Sava is the the answer to that. Yeah. And so, so talk to us more specifically about what Sava is, what it does, you know, what is the experience like? What are, how are you sort of solving this problem? What's the solution that you've developed? Yeah. So we are a delivery and discovery platform. So by discovery, I mean that we showcase a very unique array of products and a very wide array of products. So we carry about, let me 46 companies right now, over half of them are women founded brands. Mm-hmm. And we're always bringing new products to market. So by discovery, we do a lot around like, so you again, so you can learn about the the products, you can see how to take them, who made them, the company information, all of those things is there um, and very easy to navigate. And then delivery for me was really important because I was someone who really couldn't go out very much. And it was very unpredictable for me, even as I started to recover. And I still get flare ups to this day. Mm -hmm. And what I realized for someone, you know, with you know, disabilities or invisible disabilities, the unpredictability of how it's going to affect you doesn't 
ever really go away. Um, and so, you know, there, there could be the day, you know, as I was like brainstorming where I was fine to go out and about, but then the next day, maybe, you know, still I was on my road to recovery, but I couldn't function. And having something come to my home um, had a lot of new meaning to me. It wasn't just like the convenience of having groceries delivered. It was, this is what I need. Yeah, it's, it's not an option. Are you, there's really very other limited options for people that are in, in that situation. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, the the origin was, you know, I did, I definitely had quite a medicinal focus in the beginning, but okay. it, it has broadened. A delivery is huge and people are pushed to the max and stressed um, in big cities and yeah. elsewhere. And delivery is just becoming more and more a part of our daily routine. So I see it both as, you know, a smart business model and very convenient, but also really still necessary for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. So two questions, or at least two initial questions that I can think of around this is uh, one on the, on the product side, how, how do you go about, you mentioned women-owned products, you know, products where you, you can really tell the whole story, but how do you choose what products to bring on? What does that process look like? Is there a, a strategy or a theme that that you try to bring to the product selection? Mm. How long do products stay on? Uh, give us a sense of that. Yeah, so we have a pretty robust um, process for this. We we use focus groups of our target demographics, and then we do a deep dive with each company before. And so that includes mm talking with the owner, understanding the mission of the company. We, you know, I love learning the origin stories of companies, especially when I'm meeting other founders that came to the space through similar means as myself. It's like an amazing way to connect with someone and build a really strong foundation from the start. So we really want to make sure that there's alignment all the way through with any company that we work with. So that includes, again, like, what they're about, just generally, as well as where they're sourcing their product, what's their intentions, how they want to be perceived Mm -hmm. in the industry, their abilities to be a partner with someone like us, who's very mission driven, um, making sure that they get what we're about. And so we're looking, you know, really at the full picture. And then also with the focus groups, you know, we want to make sure that we're getting positive feedback from a product and keep it, you know, in a way a little bit agnostic. You know, it's not just about me like this looks good. I like that. Mm. You know, let's put it on the menu. Yeah. We really want that feedback. And that's really important to us. Yeah. How, how do you collect the feedback? Are you doing literally focus groups? You're bringing people in in person? Are you doing events? Are you uh, is this we surveys? A, yeah, we have a like a it's our focus group, it's like part in person, part in survey, and that then there's a certain rating system that they use. So that includes evaluating of packaging as well. So we are all in the industry right now constricted by the child resistance packaging. It yep. is bulky and challenging. But aside from that, what we look for is, you know, is there excess plastic packaging? Is this packaging recyclable? It has kind of been crushing our souls how much waste that we are forced to make while doing this business. So something for us to come, you know, what we want to come out in front of is making sure that we are supporting the brands that are trying to be the most responsible as possible. Yeah, seems important. I guess, why doesn't a product make it? Are there are there typical things that end up making it so that a product's not a good fit for your platform? Yeah, well, like I said, you know, again, if we hear, you know, let's say a product is five milligrams and then people try it and they're like, whoa, this is a really strong five milligrams. You know, it's like that, that might be something that we consider with regards to onboarding a product. 
something where if there feels like in the vape cartridge there, the flavor feels artificial and unnatural or learning about how that, you know, there's sometimes a vape, you know, will will have just like such a strong taste. And I'm like, this is, I don't really then feel comfortable that I fully understand what's in it and what the implications of that are. So we really, that is a big thing for us as well as like really bulky packaging that can't be recycled that could be done another way. Yeah. And those are those things for sure. Yeah. So then my other kind of initial question was around the the delivery side. How so talk us through the logistics. How have you kind of figured this out? I mean, both from a kind of a process point of view, but also from a, a you know, business model and, you know, experience point of view. Like how do you create a great experience around the delivery? I think again there's a lot of different things and I'll go back to something that I think is important that I take with me from mm-hmm. my nonprofit background, which yeah. is being mission driven and really making sure that everyone that works for us feels like they are uh, an integral part of the team. So our drivers are employees. You know, that's part of the regulations. I think that is a great thing. I want them to be employees. They are, you know, they are just as valid as an employee as anyone else on mm-hmm. our team. So for me, that is, I think that helps us stand apart. We include them in educational trainings and just making sure that our our drivers are connected to our mission and understand what we're about just the same way anyone else on the team. And I, we get positive feedback all the time about our drivers, which is, you know, one of, for me, a huge sign of success. Like we'll get emails from our customers customers just that they liked their driver. Yeah. So, you know, that's very important to me. And then there's, of course, being clear about uh, the expectations of delivery. So we have, you know, there's a lot of different delivery companies out there. We have more of a scheduled model so that when people are purchasing with us, they choose the date and time, which is like a two hour window. So they can schedule deliveries out and in select cities, they can get it same day. Like the quickest turnaround is in about an hour and a half or sometimes wow. an hour depending on location yeah. but it's not it's not an on demand type of like a like a true on demand where it's like you order and it's there in 20 minutes that's Got not it. our focus our focus is on best product and best experience and you know strong customer support so that the whole experience is enjoyable as opposed to just getting something quickly yeah anything i guess anything that you found as being key to the actual sort of delivery experience from customers that either you you under you underappreciated or were su- was surprising for you? Mm, that is an excellent question. <laughs> I mean, I think we prepared for it just again, you know, the customer service component and yeah. making sure that is not just one there to answer emails, but also someone to answer the phone. Yeah. I think it's really hard to reach like in a general sense, it's hard to reach an actual human on the business side of things. I now get it. It can feel way more efficient to be doing the chat box or emails, but (laughs) having, having people in the office that can call back that understand that are walking people through things. If they're confused about signing up or confused about, you know, a product that again, that's really important to us. And we do extra training with our staff Mm -hmm. just to make, you know, to make sure that they're quite knowledgeable, both in terms of just like how to be dealing with challenging situations, but as well as, you know, having a strong, knowledge about the plan. Yeah, I guess which when you look at uh, bringing in folks that are going to be, you know, primarily customer service focused or have a customer service role, do you focus on people that know the products or people that are are just good intuitive customer service folks 
or both? Or what's your like what's your talent strategy on that? Focus we focus more on who's gonna be the right fit, you know, in terms of demeanor and knowledge around customer service. And then of course they need to understand what we're doing. And then we can do if if it turns out that they are not familiar with cannabis, then we will put in the resources to get them trained and up to speed. Yeah. So a working knowledge is of course super helpful, but I'm, I'm really looking for someone, you know, that has the right tone and that, you know, the right approach, um, and understands, you know, the ups and downs of customer support, Mm -hmm. you know, and that we're really here though, to support our customers and, you know, someone who's patient and a great communicator, that's going to come a little bit before the cannabis knowledge. Cause I think we can fill in that gap with our trainings. Yeah. In in terms of recruiting and and finding talent have you i guess have you found people coming over from other industries or people coming out of cannabis are there particular industries that that you seem to be finding people in i mean what's your from a finding Mm -hmm. talent point of view what have you noticed so we just hired some folks and we're hiring again i definitely am seeing people come in from other industries and i think you know it all of course it always comes down to the candidate yeah and I think there are a lot of important transferable skills, especially for, you know, mom and pop deliveries or mom and pop distribution or all these companies that are, you know, have a lot of logistics incorporated in their operations to be looking to outside the industry to make sure they have the right people. You know, having also industry knowledge, you need both. And you may not always get both in the same person, but then you might, you know, if someone really gets cannabis compliant, you might need to hire a consultant then to fill in some other gaps. And that that is part, I think, what creates some of the challenges is because the compliance is so top heavy right now. Having someone, you know, coming into it, let's say a mid or managerial level of operations, having someone who already gets the regulations and the compliance is pretty important because it's a huge learning curve. It is not like other things that people are dealing with, but they also have to be systems driven. And I, you know, so that's where I see like people kind of coming in and getting up to speed. I think there will be more people coming from you know, similar industry, you know, like people that have knowledge of inventory. And so from that, from that end, and, you know, rotating stock appropriately, how you're dealing with your expiration dates, you know, how you're using the different volume to predict your orders, like those are all things that a lot of industries outside of cannabis, there's great skill sets, and those need to be, you know, brought in as, as needed. Yeah. What do you think? I'm curious if you've if you've seen enough people coming in in the industry that you've you kind of see patterns yet or not. But what do, what do you think makes a successful kind of transplant into cannabis, and and who do you think is not uh, you know as ready or as able to to pivot from an adjacent industry into the cannabis industry? Is there anything that you you notice that make it successful? I mean, I think it's a personality issue. You need to have a lot of flexibility mm. because things, you know, it's it's yeah. settled. It's not like last year where there was major changes, but it's not easy. And there's, you know, you a lot of things, there's, you know, it's all the challenges of running a normal business. And then you have like this brand new <laughs> thing unfolding yeah. in real time and those changes uh, happen. And so things like now where like people's licenses are expiring, you, yeah. you know, having someone who can you know, Deal with that, a big yeah. picture and like, and be able to manage their stress well. But you know, it's the patience and flexibility, because you do kind of sometimes just need to drop in like refocus. And that's kind of part of it. You know, it's you can get an email that like, you know, you need to change something in your SOPs or change something in your application. And you know, it's being able to manage 
five top priorities at the same time and keep your sanity, you know, so that's where I, I come back to like someone who can be patient and flexible. If someone needs something that is like really clear and well-defined, this may not be the right industry for you. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious as CEO, what have you sort of had to learn or have to learn and, and change or adapt or develop as a leader as the company has kind of grown and as the business has grown? What are, what are your kind of, uh, learnings or insights about your about yourself and your role? You know, it is a there's things that you relearn, I think, time and time again. And <laughs> yeah. having the right people around you is always what's crucial and yeah. going with your gut. You know? Yeah. You know, and when something doesn't feel right, just cut it loose and keep moving. That is something that is like a, a constant thing. Yeah. Um, that I make sure that I'm checking in with myself about in terms of the business, because especially, you know, if you're a, a mission driven business, you know, you're caring about all the people that work for you, you're wanting to build a strong team and a strong culture. But those are types of things, both in both in terms of the team itself, but also in terms of our business partnerships that if something is starting to feel off, just move on, there's another opportunity out there just around the corner. And, mm -hmm. you know, I always think in my head, you know, movement begets more movement. And yeah. like that stagnation and feeling stuck is only that's just going to leave me stuck. So I think about that a lot, just in terms of all of the different pieces that are moving all the time, and that I just need to keep on moving. Yeah, I'm curious, what is your kind of day to day or week to week like? And, and what are your key priorities now? at the stage of the company as CEO? Oh, well, right now we are raising. So that mm. is a big part of my job. Yeah. And I actually, I don't know, I enjoy it. I love telling people about what we've accomplished and where we're going. So for me, this is a really exciting time. So going into that right now is a big focus of mine, as well as working on our big picture growth strategies. So really where we're at now with this raise is getting ready to scale into more areas of California uh, we have an additional license already and then working on some other licensing agreements. So this this raise is really to get us to the next step to just dig deeper into our existing area and then to start scaling and getting rooted into some other key areas where we are getting lots of emails from customers wishing that they had us down there and had mm -hmm. our breadth of selection down there. So that's that's the focus. That's what the raise is about. And, you know, that's pretty much what I'm thinking about day in and day out that and making sure that our licensing is all tied up in a neat bow. Mm -hmm. Those are the big things for me. Yeah. I'm curious on the raise side. I mean, I, I, as I guess maybe two facets and, and feel free to comment on either. I mean, one is just as a cannabis company, what are you seeing in terms of the opportunities in the market? I mean, I, you know, everyone's talking about, you know, kind of more money from more institutional investors starting to come in. Are you seeing that or not seeing that? And then also as a, as a woman, as a woman on business, where, how does, how does that impact things? I mean, is, is, does it impact things? What do you notice? What are the opportunities? What are the constraints? <laughs> Whoa. Oh my goodness, we could just do a full show <laughs> on the ladder and I want to be really careful because who knows who's listening. Yeah. One, I'll say I do think there is more institutional money coming in. Okay. I I think it goes in waves. Um, I think people get excited and it comes in and then, you know, someone might read something else about someone's stock and, you know, I think it goes in waves, but I do think it is moving overall in the direction that more institutional money is coming in. And I think you're going to also just see like a lot of, you know, new partnerships, consolidations, all of those things unfolding increasingly quickly over the next couple of years. As a female founder, I think there are still unique challenges that I deal with. Yeah. I, oh, I have just so much to say about it. <laughs> I, you know, I think 
being a woman has been a huge part of like what Sava is and how it got created in my specific lens. So to that end, my gender is intertwined with the company and the mission and the vision. Yeah. And there are also still challenges, I think, that yeah. I face and, you know, the types of questions that I might get compared to someone else might get that's, you know, giving the same type of presentation. Sure. So really, though, I try to just, I don't know, I, I more just try to like make sure I'm solid in my numbers and just kind of keep on moving and yeah. making sure that I also have support systems where I can be talking to outside of those meetings. Yeah. Um, I do think, you know, there's also more interest in female-led companies these days, and I think that's excellent. We also focused on getting in female investors, and we had six female investors in our last seed round, and that felt really important to me. And I do think you know, it, it can be a different type of connection, but we also have a lot of men investors, and I don't think that they are looking at me and thinking of me differently because of my gender. Yeah. And also, you know, I am so synonymous with Sava. It's kind of all part of the same thing. Yeah, yeah, very integrated. So uh, maybe uh, for other female founders who are uh, thinking about raising or looking to raise, any you know, any thoughts, any advice, any suggestions that you might give them in terms of, you know, how to navigate this process and be successful? Yeah, I mean, I think having, you know, having mentors is key um, and having people that are kind of in the same phase as you is key. So I think I've built different types of support. So I have, you know, fellow female CEOs that I can call and commiserate with that are, you know, kind of <laughs> lockstep with me, yeah. but they, they get it, you know, it's, yeah. I have a lot of amazing friends, but they, you know, some of the experiences that I'm dealing with right now, only someone else in my position can really relate to. So really having someone that you trust that you can just let it out to is really important, but also making sure you have the right advisors and mentors around you because it is hard and you might need someone to help lift you back up. No matter how strong you are, it gets hard. Yeah. You know, you're going to have tough calls. People are going to you know, bust your chops on a call and question all of your decisions. And, you know, you might hold it up throughout the entire call. But then afterwards, it's like, whoa, that was, you know, that's intense. And it's yeah. going to happen time and again. And you need people that you trust that believe in you around you to, you know, keep you moving. So I think, you know, and that, and those mentors and advisors may change, but, you know, so you, there'll probably be a variety of them that cycle through. So being aware of like what you're going to need at what stage of growth and making sure that your advisor meets those needs is really important. Yeah. Yeah. No, those are good advice. In terms of where you see the industry going at this point, I mean, what do you think of the big uh, the things on your strategic plan and looking at your map for the next you know, 12, 24 months? What, what do you think is kind of coming down the pike or that people in the space, entrepreneurs, business leaders in the space need to be, you know, prepared for or take advantage of, you know, just, um, you know, in terms of the, what's going on in this industry right now? Oh, well, I think it is really, you know, last year was the year of survival for all mm -hmm. of us that were legacy. And this is the year to kind of go hard. You know, it's if you've made it, you need to be staking your claim and pushing forward as fast as you can, because there is going to be more and more people coming into this space. For us, that pushes to get into the other parts of California where we know there's a demand for our service. And then once we continue to solidify in California, you know, starting to identify which states we can grow into outside of that. So, you know, you have to be thinking, of course, you know, 
And I think this is what's hard about startups in general is you have to be going hard both in the short term and in the long term. But, you know, being clear about one your own company's roadmap and how you're going to get there obviously is is really important. And I think the competitive landscape is, you know, changing. Things are getting slicker. There's more people coming in. There's going to be more direct technology solutions to this industry. Mm -hmm. But again, evaluating really who these people are and what they're about you know, is, is still going to be important, making, still making sure you're making the right partnerships. But for us, again, it's, you know, digging into California, and then we, you know, we're identifying which states we want to move into from here. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious where you get your kind of insights or information in terms of the industry and, you know, collaborators, competitors, you know, whether it's, you know, the market or regulation, are, are there any sources that you found particularly helpful uh, that have given you that insight that you check in on a regular basis. I don't know if this is conferences, if this is uh, you know data sources. What have you found helpful? Yeah, I mean there there are definitely some regular data sources that um, are go to for us in terms of just making sure that we're aware of trends. So that's been that's something that's continual for us. I don't go to as many conferences these days. Um, although when I was getting into the industry, going to those conferences regularly was like a great, you know, quick immersion to get yeah. in and start checking things out. Uh, my next question is really thinking okay. out in the future. So, you know, putting yourself out, you know, a couple of years, three, four or five years, what do you, where do you hope to be with Sava? What do you, what do you imagine the company kind of achieving? You know, what is the impact you're having? What does the future look like? I mean, I see Sava growing and being ubiquitous all throughout California and in quite a few states and that we are really helping to continue to change the conversation around cannabis. You know, it's for us, it is much more than a business. We want people to understand that cannabis can be a really healthy alternative to a lot of other components that someone's using, you know, whether it's an alternative to Advil or an alternative to taking a drink or using a bomb after running a marathon. For us, this is a really critical point that we are trying to work with, which is really changing the perception of cannabis and then doing it with the right products and the right support all the way through. Yeah, no, that's so, great. Yeah. If, if people want to find out more about you and about Sava, what's the best way to get that information? Sure. So visiting our website would be a perfect start. It's www.getsava.com. Great. I'll make sure that the link is in the show notes. Andrea, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. You know, fascinating facet of the business. Clearly, you've got a, a, a meaningful story and, and you're passionate about this, which I, I love. I love talking to people who are not only, mm -hmm. uh, you know, have a great business model, but are passionate about it. So I appreciate you uh, spending some time with us today. Fantastic. I had a great time. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.